Welcome to the Irish Society of Stage and Screen Designers podcast. Each episode covers different aspects of sonography and its processes with designers from all disciplines at a variety of stages in their careers. These podcasts are possible thanks to the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland. Welcome to Stage Left, the Irish Society of Stage and Screen Designers podcast. I am Noelia Ruiz, the host for this episode, which focuses on set design and its processes. Our guests today are two wonderful and talented women, designer Sarah Icon and director Kachiona McLaughlin. They probably don't need any introductions, but just in case, Sarah is a set and costume designer, and this year she won the Irish Times Theatre Award for three different productions, City Song by Dylan Coburn Gray, Beginning by David Elridge, and Drama at Inish by Lennox Robinson. Katrina is an Abbey Theatre Associate Director. She recently directed The Grey Hunger, a new production of the epic poem by Patrick Kavanagh, in a historic partnership between the Abbey Theatre and the Irish Museum of Modern Art, which premiered last October as part of Dublin Theatre Festival 2020. Last year, she won Best Director in the Irish Times Theatre Awards with On Rafteries Hill by Vanilla Carr. Both of them collaborated last year on City Song by Dylan Coburn Gray, a co-production between the Abbey Theatre Dublin and Soho Theatre London. And we're truly lucky that Katriona and Sarah are going to give us some insights today into that creative, collaborative process between director and designer. Hello, and thank you so much for being here today. I suppose we could uh, kick off with the very beginning. How did you start off your careers? Do you want to go first, Sarah? Um, I want to go. I, I had a very uh, circuitous route into theatre. Took me a long time to find my way in, uh, and I didn't even know I was looking for a way in. Um, I originally I did architecture when I left school. Um, I always, uh, I suppose it was inevitable, or I felt inevitable it would be something creative that I did. I was always making stuff, not necessarily drawing, but always kind of making stuff and and moving the furniture around, moving my bedroom around, you know, hanging sculptures outside, cutting things up at home and putting them together, sort of a Frankenstein-y sort of sculptures, mixing concrete and sticking things in concrete, you know, as a, as a teenager going, well, you finished with this? Can I? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I uh, didn't, I didn't do art for the, li- or, or anyway, I did architecture after school and after three years realized it wasn't, it, although it was brilliant um, course and education and I really enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it, but I didn't see myself as an architect. As time went by increasingly, I couldn't see myself drawing straight lines forever. So I left that still not really knowing what I wanted to do. I'd always taught art art college uh, and I waitressed for a while and then I ended up going to um, do a 3D design course in Brighton in the UK which was sculpture basically it was material based workshop based and it was perfect I 
loved it so much. I thought I would be um, either working in wood or in metal. I was really attracted to those things. But I found, I sort of fell in love with working with plastics. I knew environmentally it wasn't a great idea, but just as a material to work with, it was, um, it was, it was great. I was working with resin and also doing photography and just really playing for three years with no, again, with no direction. Um, so that was a bit daunting because I still, after three years, came out going, I don't want, don't know what I want to be. But it all was sort of leading to something. And also back in Dublin, when I'd been um, between courses, if you like, and I was, I was waitressing by night, but I did a, a I did a tailoring course in the Grafton Academy as well, as well <laughs> by day. Uh, so I just, I was sort of doing anything and everything, but it was always like I, I came back to making and using my hands and that's where I felt, you know, that's what I enjoyed. Uh, so after Brighton, I went to America for a little while. I was working um, with a step builder and with a production designer who did like window dress. I, I was doing bits and pieces. I was um, not legally there. So I was just sort of not really working, but I was sort of, uh, I was getting a lot of experience meeting a lot of people. Came back to Ireland and I got a studio thinking, now's my time, I'm going to be a, a sculptor. And I found it quite lonely. I didn't like being in the studio on my own and I didn't know anybody in, in Dublin in that, you know, who worked in the in art and also I couldn't earn any money. So um, I did a false course in the SFX theatre with Michael Scott was running it at the time. And there was, he always had about eight, between eight and 12 falsies running the place for him or with him <laughs> and sending them out on the road on as many, uh, on as many plays that he had out on tour and it was it was amazing we learned so much so quick like we were running the place within a couple of weeks I remember operating a show <laughs> going, wow. uh, operating the lights for for a show in there which was so an incredible experience hit the ground running and I started making props and being an ASM and we'd get sent out you know to kind of remember my first job as an ASM was in Andrews Lane Theatre. So I loved ASMing and working with the designers. And, and suddenly, unexpectedly, I just loved it. I felt very much at home. Uh, I always loved the theatre and went to the theatre and loved plays. And um, But apart from uh, my then actor boyfriend, I didn't really know anybody who worked in theatre backstage you know in the kind of production side of things it was great I just so I never looked back from then on I worked as an ASM for years a prop maker even did a bit of production management toured around the country with Opera Theatre Company for a few years uh, toured around Europe with Pan Pan for a few years theatre company as always as an ASM um, and then increasingly I, and I worked in the prop department in the Wexford uh, Festival Opera, which was great. So that was my my first design opportunity was in Wexford. They they were down a designer on the Short Works, which is like their fringe festival. And I sort of put my hand up and said, I could do that. And then after that, I, I went to Motley for a year to, to train as a designer. So that's 12 years ago, I went to Motley. So that's just what I've been doing since. So like I said, it took a while. I was in yeah, my early 30s by the time <laughs> I 
the time I was really doing it. But everything had sort of led to to that. You know, there was sort of no, although it seemed to my poor mother, like, what, what are you doing with your life? Everything sort of came together in the end. It's funny, though, because that's something that I would sort of associate with your design, Sarah, is a kind of large scope element that kind of identify you know it's a massive gesture and that's something that I think is really kind of your your thing if you know what I mean so maybe it's all it's 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 really interesting to hear that I didn't know any of that journey yeah so yeah it's what I love about it like you're not afraid to make a big statement with a big like I'm thinking I suppose very much of the mirror in city song oh, city song yeah and it's both it's both architectural and sculptural as a set and it worked I mean I cannot imagine that play happening in any other set now (laughs) and that I think one of my favorite designs ever because all of these things came together and you and I had that short shorthand as well and we were able to kind of it was quite a brave um yeah. leap of faith on your part or in both our parts to say how about this but but I think yeah yeah. We, yeah well you know there's something I think that first of all I, it's not hard to take a leap of faith with you Sarah to be perfectly honest because I know what whatever I get will be incredible but on that one um it just it kind of started it felt it felt like it was one of those rare opportunities where the set idea built the play, if you know what I mean. The set wasn't a response to the play, but the play, the text responded to the set. Um, and, you know, do you remember us coming up with those ideas of those mirroring images and then taking a hole out of the set to facilitate it? So it definitely, I think originally we were really... Um, you wanted to put the audience into the picture because it was about a city and we wanted the city in, in the in the picture. So I, I remember thinking how amazing that was, how exciting that was. Um, and then to be able to play around with the kind of dimensions of time, all of that was kind of built from that set idea. And in a way, that's the way that, you know, that for me, that is the ideal way to work rather than the other way around. The ideal is to have the set designed and built and in there to play with so that you can actually, so so that the play, I suppose, comes out of it, comes out of its physical environment and comes out of the space. But um, just briefly, I also had a kind of a journey into directing. I didn't go to study theatre or even literature or even humanities um, uh, though I always wanted to but I had what I like to refer to as parental guidance in a different way <laughs> so I studied um, biological science and then biomedical science and um, ended up working in the Northern Ireland Water Executive for a while and um, then from there, thanks very much. I'm getting coffee from my friend. <laughs> um, my friend, his Wi-Fi, I have run to borrow. <laughs> um, did I tell you the snow has meant there's no electricity in my 
hard it only called. <laughs> anyway, um, what did I say? Uh, yeah, I I wanted to do theatre. I ended up working as a biochemist very briefly. Hated it, hated it, and uh, resigned basically, and went and volunteered in the playhouse in Derry. And then through that, I sort of trained in conflict resolution and using drama techniques to work with people who were impacted by conflict and working with youth theatre and ex-political prisoners and um, or, uh, ex-combatants is what I want to say, political prisoners. And then different groups of vulnerable adults and different, different groups. So through using drama in that way, I then trained as an actor and then thought I was an actor um, briefly <laughs> and uh, started directing youth theatre first. I set up a youth theatre here in Donegal up in, in the show and then um, uh, kind of taught myself directing a little bit through that and had a company with some friends in Dublin and we would put on plays which I would act in but then we got an opportunity to put on a musical and none of us could sing or do anything musical related, but we had money from this producer to put on a musical. So we all sat down and decided that I had the only transferable skill with my youth theatre work so I could become the assistant director. <laughs> and uh, that was Rent, uh, which happened in the Olympia. And then that director took me to London to be his assistant on his next two productions. And then from then on, I've been directing. So the same as you, yeah. only, the only difference being I was trying to get there all along. <laughs> <laughs> that's, very, think, that's really interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. Um, I love these stories that go, you know, that is not a straightforward line, as you were saying, uh, Sarah. It's just, you know, how different events in life bring you to a place. Um, I suppose it was very interesting to hear about, uh, Katrina was talking about the ideal set or the ideal. And I like to know a little bit more about your process. Obviously, each project is different. It depends on the people you're working with. But what is your ideal process when you are either directing or designer, or at least that relationship between a director and a designer? Um, you, you go. I, um, the ideal for me is that um, we know well in advance. Sarah and I have, have a history of not knowing very far in advance <laughs> that we're going to be working on something. Um, but the ideal is always that you would know in advance and then you get to play around with ideas. Um, and I suppose what's great, what's really lovely, and even we got to do it a little bit in City Song Sarah, didn't we, where we went through different, totally different versions of the idea. Um, at one point it had rooms, do you remember, three rooms, and then there was one room. Um when we had all, you know, when you can when you can figure out what the story is that you're telling through the three dimensional dimensionality, is that a word? You know what I mean? Through the three dimensions of the physical space and the environment. And when you can play around with different options and select rather than rather than just go with the designer's first option. 
that's the ideal for me. So, like, I, I'm not, I can't remember if we did it, Sarah, but what I tend to do is if I have a strong instinct for a theme, for something, like, for example, uh, when I did On Rathry's Hill, I would put together a, a mood board of what the essence of what I think the production is. So in that case, I was really interested in the idea because the play opens with hairs being shot and brought in. <clears throat> and I was really interested in the idea that hairs, they don't burrow holes in the ground. They kind of make nests in the long grass. So they kind of have these layers that are open almost. You know, you can kind of see in or mm. that's how I perceived it. And I kind of thought it was a brilliant metaphor for the play that you could see through it everywhere. Everything happened with full visibility. Um, but, um, you know, but we pretended we didn't or, you know, that kind of idea. So the openness of it. So I would do something like that. Um, when we when we started talking about City Song, it was our big question was, do we... Do we focus on putting a city on stage or do we put a family on stage? And we were able to really investigate those two ideas together, I think, Sarah, before we decided on the city. Would you agree with that? I think we when City Song was such a, a sort of universal play, it was sort of encompassing so many ideas. You had the city, you had three generations, the three families you had sort of shattered lives, new lives, lives coming. There were new beginnings, there were beginnings and endings. There was the city itself. There was the cycles of life and of a day and of generations. So it's like, how do you, how do you bring that to the stage without, how do you bring anything to that staging wise without either burdening it uh, or without, or not, or not giving it enough. So um, we went through everything, I think, because yeah. there was everything to to go through. And I think, yeah, like I was really, I find that really hard. But then it's like you have that, that, or sometimes you do. It's that sort of eureka moment. And usually, when it's it's for me, it's often at the eleventh hour, as I think you you know. <laughs> you're like come on <laughs> we've got nothing um, yeah uh and and just that's probably I, I've learned that's part of my process it's not it's not my favorite part of my process because it, it does lead to sort of very late nights or sleepless nights <laughs> or um unsettled directors who you feel don't you know that they've lost faith and you're you sort of fear it's not going to happen. I'm not, you know, not going to do it this time. It's not going to, I've been, uh, I've been getting away with it till now. <laughs> we <laughs> all have that. We all have that. We all have that. And there's something, and that only comes with sort of years of getting away with it that you go, no, this is part of the process too. We're not getting away with it. This is actually, um, this is how it works. That's very interesting. Uh, the pro everybody has a, uh, Similar process, but a different process. But yeah. I suppose yeah. that emotional journey that goes with your process when you are creating something, everybody goes through that. Um, 
I'd like to know, in that sense, what's been maybe your most challenging project? And not challenging because it could be challenging aesthetically or uh, dynamic-wise. Um, there are many ways of being challenging. Do you want to start with that? <laughs> well, I think every project you do, there's a new dynamic because you you might be lucky enough to work with the same director again, but then it's a different company or it's a different it's a play, not an opera, or it's a different play. It's a, mm. a new cast. It's a new, it's a whole new set of challenges. <laughs> so, and that's part of the joy of the job that you're always learning and problems. So I think as a, as a, a designer, it's partly creative uh, and people see it as a creative role, but it's a lot of, of sort of problem solving and, and sort of, um, so I, d I can't think in the last few years that there's been any one more challenging than another. Usually it's for boring reasons like budgets or, or some, some kind of administrative thing makes it more difficult rather than the actual challenge of the, the, the working with the director or the design itself or the play itself. That's just, that's the job. It's to solve those problems. And that's the good good bit of the job um Sarah yeah. we had we had a slight um I would say though I think we can talk about it because it hasn't never come to fruition thanks to COVID but one of the challenges we had with an opera that we were working on together earlier this year was the vastly different spaces that a huge Mozart opera had to fit into I find that really challenging of course like, and Sarah would solve the problem by doing, like, simple things like swapping, like, an opening from one side to the other. Like, it was a, it was like doing a mechano set when you're a kid or whatever. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like, and it was perfect in one and much less perfect than another. That I find really fascinating for when designers can do that. When they can, because I struggled to see, think three-dimensionally if I don't have pictures and, you know, spaces and things to measure. Like, I need I need to get the model box so I can play in it. Mm. Card drawings have ruined my life. Um, but, <laughs> um, but you can seem to know, well, that won't work in this imaginary space because the seats at this angle and all of that, that's really challenging for a designer, isn't it? Or... And again, that's part of the that's part of the package, the sight lines. And I think touring theatre really helped with that, like touring with opera theatre company with very ambitious sets. Uh, and you're going from the Everyman in Cork to the town hall in Clonakilty to, the you know, up to Mullingar and then finishing up maybe in the in. Belvedere in the O'Reilly Theatre, massive. So, so that's um, that's a real challenge to make all of these things happen. So, there's there's tricks to that. But then it has to you have to be giving it. It has to be the best set for every audience, and not just a compromise um, for some. It's yeah, it's true. I think that's the thing that I love about working with you, Sarah. Is that it's very different for you. Really. 
you really just take the project for face value <laughs> and every process is slightly different. And I, I find that really exciting that you're not into a formula of behavior or this is my aesthetic, that you take everything on its own right and build from that. And, and I think, I suppose at the end of the day, maybe that's where we have to kind of land with it. Like every project has its own identity. Every project has its own aesthetic. Every project has to be treated differently. So as much as you want to have your process, at the end of the day, it disappears really quickly in the face of the text that you're facing or the dance yeah. facing or the music. I mean, that must be the same for you with the actors. You're responding to the text. And it, and then as the weeks go by in rehearsal, <laughs> and maybe sort of ideas, big ideas you started with, I'd like to try that this time. In the end, you're going, well, we just need to get this ready for, for tech next week or for the preview on Friday or whatever it is. But I'm sure those ideas end up in there, even though you'd, you probably never feel it's fully there or perfect I mean I'd, I never feel it's fully there or perfect but yeah. you walk away an opening night and tell yourself yeah it's good <laughs> good yeah. enough I think I'm I think I'm very often the actor's nightmare because I'm fiddling all the way through tech and going oh can we oh you're a bit of a fiddler too <laughs> or tweaking all the way through um and even after opening I I've been known to tweak when you've the right company, not every company responds well to it, but yeah. No, fair enough. <laughs> I have a question for Sarah. Uh, you were talking about that you learn a lot through touring. And yeah. I wonder if uh, when you are designing for a production that it's meant to tour, does that affect the way you design the set? You... Not the initial response. I mean, it's always there in the back of your mind but not um, in a restrictive way, initially, anyway. You kind of respond with whatever that, if there's a big idea to it. or um, And funnily, what, what Katrina was saying about having a big idea, often there'll be a big idea, I'll dismiss it and go through all these other sort of iterations. And, and you come back to that first idea somehow. Uh, and then... After that, you, you find a way to make it work for different venues. Um, but no, I, it, it wouldn't be the first thing. Uh, it wouldn't be driving the design. It wouldn't be influencing the design. But, but afterwards, you, you have to make sure that the design isn't compromised. Then by, you know, you'll have to change that idea if it's not going to work everywhere or in you know, most places. So, um, in terms of collaborating as a director and a designer, um, I suppose there are friction points, I suppose there are shared visions, I suppose there is a lot of a change. And on top of that, obviously, you have lighting designers, you have sound designers. So, how is that process for each of you? Um, I think, well, for me, there's a couple of things. For me, the set designer has to have a really strong relationship with the lighting designer or or know that they have a sort of complicity because, the, you know, they have to work together. I mean, you know, I've been on one production where they fought with each other, you know, and it's, it, it, it's, 
incredibly detrimental to every everyone and everything. Um, so I think that I think for me, what I try and do, it's really interesting because you have your ideal way of working, and then very often you don't have control over it. Very often the producer is in control of the process, or they have somebody in mind, or they have somebody on board on a project before you're hired, so you kind of have to consider whether or not that's the thing. But the ideal scenario for me is set designer, you you get the set designer first, and then together you choose a lighting designer, and then to get and a sound designer fits into that in a kind of different way. But um, to me, then lights and sound kind of have they set the rhythm. They're like the editor in a way. They set the rhythm of the piece. So they have to have a different kind of shared sensibility. But to me, that's the process that is that seems to work best from my perspective. Um, and then I love if we can meet and talk. So I've worked in America a little bit, and one of the gorgeous things about working in America is the objective is to have the set built before you start rehearsals, at least where I work in Bard Summerscape. Now, they have obviously a lot more money and all of that kind of thing, but what that meant was you were having design meetings nearly a year before production. So... You know, we were able to go crazy. We were able to budget things. We were able to look and go, okay, well, we can't do that, but we love it. So what else can we do? Um, but what was brilliant about that and what I really miss about, I mean, Sarah and I probably try and do it, but we do like a shortened version of it. But we have these kind of talks about the kind of art of the piece that for maybe for weeks, and about themes and about tones and that's and not anything to do with physical space or the literal set. It's kind of more about what the texture of the piece is that we're trying to find or what feeling do we want to get or, you know, those kind of more artistic conversations. And I find one of the problems we have in this country is because everything happens much later, they're really truncated and they really rob us of the proper real skill of having, you know, amazing designers. Because at the end of the day, before they've allowed themselves to go the full journey of their artistic thinking, they have to start making decisions and suddenly they're cutting things out before they actually have set the thing, you know? Yeah, that's a problem. And it's not cost effective either. If you're making rush decisions, it's expensive. If you have that lead in time, you can find ways to kind of cut down costs and, and make amazing work. But I don't know. I mean, that's the culture here, isn't it? I don't know how you change that. Uh, we certainly. You get a big sponsor and they give you loads of money and you plan a year ahead, <laughs> two, 18 months. Ahead. Wow. I know. And, you know, something else that happens here that I find really problematic. When you're doing an Arts Council project application, the producer has to put together a creative team and that usually happens without any kind of input or conversation. So you find yourself very often working with people you don't know or people that, you know, may not necessarily be the person you would choose for this project. Um, 
so there's artificial marriages made it's like arranged marriages <laughs> and my fantasy is that i have like you know these kind of european models where like you work really closely with a director or with a designer for your whole career that's my fantasy but i've never been able to have enough work to you know earn that from a from a designer yeah. and um and also you know it's not practical here at all like none of us could like none of us could make those commitments to each other i suppose but i just think that must be glorious it must be i mean we've done three shows together now katrina and it it's so much easier after you know the second the third time because you have that shorthand that's so essential for a, a dialogue a creative dialogue so so much of the first time you work with somebody is just getting to understand what they mean when they say yeah <laughs> getting to believe it's going to happen or getting to you know is this really what they want when you know they're uh, and the second time if it, it gets a bit easier and so on so yeah. to have the luxury to that you're not dealing with that sort of stressful element that you can just put that into the um the yeah. artistry. <laughs> I know, exactly. And also what's that thing, isn't it, Sarah, that like, you know, when you don't know somebody and you're thinking, if I say this, will they be hurt? Will they be? Will they feel like their work is being undermined? Whereas I know that's not going to work for that scene. And yeah. you're trying to feel your way around how to say something. Whereas we're at the stage now where you can go, no. And I will go, please. And you'll still <laughs> say no. <laughs> with, this, with City Song. <laughs> Well, you with City Song, I came back and I had nothing. It's like, we've got nothing. And you had been in America for a few weeks and we'd, you know, we were having these kind of difficult Zoom meetings and I'd be like holding up a box going, I don't know, let me that. And then she came back and I had just this mirrored wall and it was so, like it was 180 degrees turn around from anything else I had show and so obviously you needed a minute but you sort of looked at it and went I don't know what to do with that and I went oh I don't know what to do now either and she goes like I need a door or something so <laughs> I said like I went, hang on hang on I put a door in it and held it up and she goes it's great I love it <laughs> <laughs> can we have two doors <laughs> can we have two doors and I was like no Fine. no <laughs> oh yeah no you can't <laughs> so. but I'll make a big hole <laughs> But I think yeah, exactly. if I hadn't the, if we hadn't that relationship, if you said, I don't know what to do with that, I would have gone, okay. And I'd have gone away and uh, done, you know, panicked, <laughs> cried. Whereas, and, whereas you, I'm, yeah, whereas I'm looking at it going, I love how that looks, but I have no idea. Is it too cool for me? You know what I mean? <laughs> Is it a really cool set that I don't know how to use properly? Yeah. So I was intimidated a little bit by it. Because Sarah came with this map of Dublin that was all lit up at night and it was stunning. And we fell in love with it. But we had nowhere to put it. And then she had this idea of this mirrored back wall that kind of put the audience in the play. And we were looking at the two things and we kept dismissing the city lights on and putting it on the floor. We thought the city could be on the floor reflected in the wall. And and it was like, what will we do? And then she said we could put the map on the mirror and then she said we could cut out each each um you know shape of each kind of Dublin one, Dublin two, what do you call them, boroughs or whatever. 
all the roads and just mapped the whole city. So the center point was like O'Connell Street just happened to be. And it looked like a broken window as well, like a shop window on the, you know, on O'Connell Street that had been bashed in. Completely. And, and because there's all these layers of time in the play and it's like three or four dimensions of time, it was just magical. And I just thought, I love how it looks, this amazing map. But like, that means what am I going to do? Be doing little scenes in front of it? I'll, I'll just make it tacky. And then, of course, you know, Sarah came in with these kind of almost invisible furniture and suddenly the whole thing worked. Amazing. Got, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, is it very different um, working as either the director or designer for theater, for dance, or for opera? It's probably more different for me than it is for you, Sarah, because when I've been thinking yeah. funny a lot about what the difference is between opera and dance and theater lately. And for me, the difference is the audience. Because um, in theatre you communicate in, in, you know, spoken words, you are using the same communication technique as the audience. In opera and dance, the performers are using um, a heightened form that 99% of the audience are not capable of. So you're receiving something. You know, you're always you're always at a remove from it because of the sheer skill that you do not hold within yourself. Whereas a bigger percentage of the audience could technically do the communication style that you can in theatre, which for me means that it's easier. The loop is easier. I'm obsessed with where the what the audience role is in relation to the production that I'm directing. Um, so it was perfect. For example, the mirror solved my problem entirely in City Song. It completely led, led us to making a city, putting a city on stage instead of a family. Um, uh, something like, say, on Raftery's Hill that I spoke about earlier that had the kind of nest type aesthetic. Um, it, it was an open set. It was a kitchen, but it was all open. Um, it meant that the that the audience could look in and be present in the kitchen. So it wasn't, it was literal enough for you to know exactly where you were, but it was abstract enough for you not to feel excluded. Like the fourth wall, I broke it three times in the production on purpose to bring the audience into the world and to make that visibility. And I think it's got something to do with the fact that words are spoken and the emotion that is generated is are from spoken words because it's the subtext where the relationship between the audience and the performers set for me. It's in the emotional reaction. And of course, you have an emotional reaction to opera and to dance, but it is a different kind of reaction because it's based on this idea. It's based on a skill set that is so impressive. There's no way, to, I think, to sit in, in, in an opera where there's an incredible singer and not be kind of going, oh my God, that is an incredible singer, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Whereas if you get a highly, a highly skilled actor, it does the opposite. You forget you're watching an actor. You're in a conversation, you're in a moment in a way. 
So there's something around that for me, though I haven't, I don't know, I'm only, I'm only trying to solidify it in my thinking and as one of my COVID thought projects. <laughs> so I can't really articulate it properly, but does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's really interesting um, aspect. It's something that I, well, I think about differently, but about the audience. And it's interesting to hear how, well, obviously, how important the audience is, but the way you th- you think about the audience. Mm. Um, like from the beginning, the audience has to be, have a role. Mm. I, you know, they can't just be a passive audience watcher. And if they are, I feel like I failed. Mm. Thank you so much. Um, we don't have much time left, but I still have a couple of questions for you both inspiration um maybe that can be something that inspires you constantly or that you're torn to sometimes or maybe a design that made an everlasting impression do you want to go first <laughs> um i give you all a hard question uh, it's funny because i i still feel my background is in visual art and not really I mean, 20 years later, I'm still working in theatre, so <laughs> I have made theatre my home. But um, I think because I didn't start out in theatre or do a degree in theatre or anything like that, that uh, my inspirations are in visual art and uh, seeing exhibitions and um, I, I sort of berate myself. I don't go to the theatre more. I don't have a chance for you. I'd like to, but um, I don't draw my inspiration from from other theatre. I, I love going to the theatre and seeing theatre, but I'm not, even now, I'm not really looking with the professional eye. I'm just there to be entertained. Whereas if I see an exhibition, I maybe I'm looking at the work um, of the artist with a, a kind of a, a professional life which is interesting to me <laughs> that still after this time I'm I'm I see myself as a visual artist and not a theater maker but maybe that's maybe that's okay <laughs> um but I mean obviously there's been some uh some th- there were some kind of moments over the years that I saw shows and went oh when when the production design really lifts everything or there's a moment and you go that now that was clever that was really great often it's um I got to see a lot of opera obviously down in Wexford and uh when I lived in London I used to go to um the pre the morning previews in English National Opera and they'd always have these amazing you know like just fantastic shows and sets and um so that, yeah, there were some really big, inspiring ideas there. And often the simplest sort of transformative, these set changes, because you, you do that, they do that in opera. It's a spectacle in opera. Um, and in theatre, you're, you're serving the play, of course. We could just going back to your previous question, Noelia, but you're serving the play, obviously. In, in opera, there's a sort of a heightened... There's more artistic license often for the designer to kind of lift because um, the art form, you can have a bit more fun with it. Maybe you get away with more, let's say, bigger statements. But yeah, you know. 
It's a funny thing. When you're thinking about a production, everything becomes your inspiration. Every conversation mm-hmm. you have, everything you see, everything you read, suddenly you think, how have I not known this before? <laughs> um, like I would probably have, you know, been inspired by other theatre productions. While you were talking, Sarah, I was thinking, what kind of made a mark very early on? Um, I remember seeing the white-headed boy that Barabbas did and it was like a white set was kind of drawn on. It was like drawn on. Do you know what I mean? As mm. if it was a pencil drawing. And they came out, it started with a little house, you know, and then they kind of lifted the lid off. And that kind of playing with scale, I remember being really kind of excited by that idea that, you know, that kind of how you can be in and outside of the set at the same time. And how it kind of made you kind of go like almost like you're in a microscope, looking through a microscope. And then they did a really clever thing at the end of, at the interval, like, so say they had drawn a fireplace on this side. And when you came back after the interval, the fireplace was on this side and you were looking at the other half of the room. Right. It was just a really simple thing. But for some reason, it really, really, really stuck with me and struck me. The, the simplicity of it. I love really clever, simple designs that take you away and, you know, kind of keep taking you to other places. That's what the kind of the first time I think I really noticed um, set, you know, because I was obsessed, always obsessed with acting and text story. Um, And I'm the same as you. I'm I'm an audience. I can't, I just, if I'm watching a film or whatever, my professional head goes out the window and I just want to be an audience all the time mm. um and then I remember being struck by the in the Peacock there was a production of Kurtzman Eha I think it was Tom McIntyre had adapted the poem and um Karen Ardoff was in it and it was like a big kind of plastic sheet of a, of a curtain like a big sheriff curtain and it was kind of very at the time to me like simple and modern and light play on the curtain and that really struck me. It mm. felt, it just felt, I think maybe it's the first time I suppose I noticed moving out of kind of literal sets or, you know, those kind of mm. ho- ho- little doll's houses type sets, if you know what I mean, little doll's houses, which I also love. Yeah. Um, and I think they're the first thing, they're the first kinds of productions that struck me from a design perspective and kind of drew me away from wanting to, make literal, literal sets. And then I suppose more recently, some the Shaibuna's work really, really inspires me. I find it incredibly exciting. Like their Hamlet where the, gra- where the grave is on stage and he's carrying and burying the coffin in the hole and putting the mm-hmm. coffin in the rain. And I, I love that kind of aesthetic. Um. And Again, it's and very pared back. Very of. pared back, yeah. yeah. And um, funny as well. There's always these really witty elements or twists. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 And one more thing I'll say, the national, the revolve in the national. I want a Sarah to have a revolve. <laughs> and a drum revolve. Can you imagine? I know. Someday, Katrina. Someday. My fantasy, we get a drum revolve. And like things grow up and yeah. go away and turn around. 
crack. Yeah. <laughs> so the last question before we go, and is it if you have any advice for people that are starting off either in design or in directing? Can I give designers a bit of advice? Yeah, <laughs> you can give directors. <laughs> this is cheeky, I know. Um, this is my big, big bit of advice for young designers because I do a little bit of work with, you know, the Yates Bursary and the Abbey. I, I kind of mentor them a little bit insofar as I've done, done it the last three, three years. But the big thing... There's two big things that design young designers, in my experience, forget. They forget that the actors have to perform in the space. They're more interested in making a big message, and they forget the practicalities. Um, they, yeah. So the big thing is read the play, understand how many scenes you have in the play, understand how the how you're going to get through the arc of the play. It doesn't matter if you've one set or if you've 15 different rooms, but understand that you have to tell the story of the play and you have to help the actors tell the story of the play and give them enough space to play in and walk in and stand in. And the second thing is furniture. Young designers don't give a damn, in my experience, about furniture. And furniture is everything. In when you're working with actors, how it looks like chairs, the nightmare, Sarah, that we always have finding chairs, the right chairs. Yeah. Don't underestimate yeah. furniture. It's nearly impossible to find the right chairs. It's like another character on, on stage, the furniture, and it's what people are looking at. It's part of the set. There's no point in designing a wonderful set and then sticking a, a, the wrong chair on it because that's what everybody will see. And remember, <laughs> and like the amount of times I have conversations with, is there anywhere they could sit or lean or, and no, no, well, what they just, so that means every, they don't understand every scene will look the same if you're just walking and looking at each other's talking and it feels very artificial. So we're totally ignoring, but yeah, that's mine. Now you go for directors. For directors, which just you reminded me of something that, uh, Alison Chitty in Motley, who's a wonderful mentor and teacher, and she used to say with each project, she'd pick up the, the play and she goes, now, feel the weight of the play. Like she'd pick up the script and say, just feel the weight of the play. Like don't, don't impose a, a set that's not appropriate or that, you know, because you have an idea and you want to get that on the stage. It's wrong if it's not, you know, just kind of ask yourself always if it's the right thing. For, for the actors to be acting on and for the, um, for the play itself. It didn't mean much to me at the time. And then uh, I think it, uh, every time, it's sort of a bit Great. abstract. But. And young, I'll, give, I'll give young directors a little <laughs> note as well, based on my own stupidity and my own ignorance. So when I started working with designers first, I came in with a full designed in my head and imposed it on the designer you know no I want this I remember like mad things I want a fully white set and I want you know the set to bleed at this word <laughs> whatever <laughs> like that was something you know I like and spent days you know yeah. thinking about how to 
freeze a vase so that it would melt at the right rate that would spill ink on like stupid things that destroyed the play until I learned that the designers ha are brilliant <laughs> and they have way 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 better ideas than you do as a and you know that's how their brain functions <laughs> just do not do yourself a favor you'll have a far better production if you don't come in and impose everything on the designer so I have yeah, I've now learned to shut up. Have your ideas, absolutely. But keep them in behind you until you find out what, what else you can have. It's always better. <laughs> <laughs> and trust the people you work with. You know, it's a collaboration as well. You you learn, like you have, I just, I'm going, oh, I don't know. How, how do we make that work? But uh, sometimes I don't know why <laughs> you need that to happen. And I just, you know. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, particularly, Katriona, thank you because you had to, to go through the snow, electric trailers, <laughs> borrow the Wi-Fi from a friend. So thank you for making the time for this. And it's been really lovely. Um, have a lovely weekend. Thank you very much. You too. Lovely to nice chat. Nice to meet you, Noelia. Great to Ciao. see you, Katrina. Catch you Great soon. You. Bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode. The Irish Society of Stage and Screen Designers podcasts are possible thanks to the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland.